0: Hello there, welcome to this episode of New Horizons. I'm Vaughan Benison. Thanks once again for your company. This week the focus is on Global Accessibility Awareness Day. For those of you who don't know, Thursday the 21st of May this year was Global Accessibility Awareness Day. There is some excitement about this event all over the world and Blind Citizens Australia decided to devote one of its happy hour conversations to Global Accessibility Awareness Day. In fact, the happy hour conversation on Thursday evening the 21st of May. I was asked to host that discussion, and uh, part of my brief was to be able to bring it to you all on New Horizons over the next couple of weeks. According to the Global Accessibility Awareness Day website, the purpose of GAAD is to get everyone talking, thinking and learning about digital, web, software, mobile, etc., access slash inclusion, and people with different disabilities. Local Global Accessibility Awareness Day events sometimes showcase how people with disabilities use the web and digital products using assistive technologies or assist people creating technology products in taking into consideration the needs of certain disabilities. So we thought it was worth celebrating. We've assembled a panel today for for this discussion. The panel members, uh, firstly we have David Vosnarkos, who is an assistive technology Coordinator and Access Consultant with Visibility. Visibility is a blindness service provider agency and it provides services to people who are blind or vision impaired in Western Australia and also Tasmania. Uh, Andrew Arch is a Principal Consultant with Intopia. Founded in 2016 and with a vision of creating an inclusive digital world, Intopia has grown to be the largest accessibility and inclusive design agency in Australia and New Zealand. Intopia places the user at the center of everything they do, and uh, they work closely with their clients to develop pragmatic outcomes that improve digital access for everyone. And also, as part of the the panel, we have Jonathan Craig. And uh, if you don't know Jonathan, well, You must have been living under a rock somewhere. Jonathan is a journalist and a writer, and he is also a musician, and most of you will know him as the editor of Blind Citizens News. So I wondered. Um, David, whether we might start with you. David is an occupational therapist and access consultant with Visibility. He also coordinates Visibility's assistive technology service and work with the National Panel of Assessors. That's the uh, the group that works with job access for worksite assessments and things like that. He's been with Visibility for nearly twenty years and has seen firsthand the significant changes in digital access over time.
1: Excellent. Well, firstly, good evening to everyone um, and a happy Global Accessibility Awareness Day for 2020. Uh, I do have to say, every year I get a little bit embarrassed uh, about the naming of this day. Now, that's only because I'm an occupational therapist and the word digital actually refers to something completely different um, in terms of medical. So, no one actually calls themselves a digital access consultant. I often think of fingers. You let your mind go wherever you want to. Um, for those people who haven't come across me before, if you've ever been to the round Table Conference in the last couple of years, I'm usually the master of ceremonies and deal with everything AV. Uh, Vaughan's charged me with the task of actually talking about digital access, uh, pretty well about where we've been, where we are now, and where we think we're actually going. Um, in terms of the position that I've held, I've been lucky. This is probably the best time to be alive to see all these changes in technology. Some of this stuff happened well before I was sort of out in the profession as an OT working in this area, but I've been able to look back, reflect and think, right, that's where the changes actually started. When I think about digital access, um, I like to think of it pretty much like surfing. Uh, I don't surf myself, but if you think about surfing on an unfamiliar break, you know, we've had over the last 20, 30, 40 years, tsunamis here, there and everywhere. And then periods of no swell at all. Then we've had high quality waves and lots of repetition. And then those things that just dump you before you get to the beach. So since 1980s, if we look at digital access, we've had all sorts of different swells coming through in that time. And I'll apologize. I'm going to show my age with a number of these things because I do remember most of these. And you can all have a quiet chuckle to yourself as we go through it. I think our journey really began when we talked about the introduction of DOS, that great operating system that was first launched upon us with a home pc and i think that's back around about 1980 81 which is sort of okay this is our new way of dealing with a new space new ways of information and that was one of our first waves here's this information well it's all visual what are we going to do then of course we had the wonderful mouse and what actually happened with that so you could say yeah that Gave us a little more control, but obviously if someone with a vision impairment, well, that's next to useless. What are we going to do? It's taken us some time before we could actually address those with the advent of JAWS. And I, Vaughn, I actually have found an original JAWS disc from back around that era, which I believe still works. Don't have the operating system for it. But the other thing in terms of access is considering, all right, not just about vision, but what are the differences been? So since that first computer came out and people gotten over the idea of, right, we've got a keyboard, we've got a mouse, What are the different methods of access have we got? What do we need to consider? So we've had things like generic QWERTY keyboard. We've had the large print keyboards. But then there's been other things like the Dvorak, uh, D-V-O-R-A-K keyboard, or a traditional ABC keyboard, which basically changes the whole layout of the keyboard of how you would actually use it. As we move ahead to now, well, I don't need to explain too much about what's going on with Windows and what's been going on with Mac. When we go back in time, you know, to make them accessible, we had to get things like Zoom text, We had to get things like JAWS. If we're going for head pointer control, we needed to access this, that, et cetera, et cetera. I've been actually quite amazed with what's actually flown on since then um, to the point whenever I talk about accessibility with people, I'm always talking about, well, have you actually looked at what's under the hood? What's actually already there that you can physically access? And you can't go by without thinking about phones a where we've been as well. Uh, And recently going through some of our archives, I found some of the old Nokias, for example, which remember that was the only way we could have an accessible phone from memory. It costs about $1,500. Someone can correct me about that afterwards. Um, But the only way you can make it accessible is to have an extra $300, $400 piece of software on top of it. What's, been particularly interesting is seeing how those have developed now. I know you can still get some of those people are still swear black and blue that's the best way to do it and according to nuance's website they still sell the software believe it or not. but um, I think we all know back in about 2007 from memory when the iPhone came through and suddenly oh here we go we've got a phone that actually has a screen reader in it and that was absolutely diabolical. I remember at the time when people were coming to me because at that point I was trying to say teach people how to do text messaging using the numeric keypad without any voice feedback, which I can tell you was particularly challenging. So when the iPhone came out with voiceover, suddenly, whoop, hang on, everything's changing. Adding on to that, now you've got Braille input and you've got Braille input straight onto the display. I'm just thinking there are a lot of major, major changes that are happening and are happening really quickly over the last five odd years. And even the platform that we're using right now in terms of web conferencing um actually feel it's almost been a little bit of a leveler for a lot of people. I've talked about, okay, we have to go into this digital space, right? We all have to interact. How are we going to do it? And uh, Vaughn and I were talking a little recently about all the changes that suddenly came through with Zoom in terms of what it can do. So when it was introduced at in our organisation, um, I'm one of those people that's very inquisitive. I used to look under the hood and see what's actually going on and discovered all the variety of things that can actually be done. I mean, there's some things, yes, like those waves that crash on the beach, some things don't go very well. Uh, Vaughn, you and I can talk about the whole chat function and what happens if you're in rooms and using channels about their accessibility. But people may not be aware, for example, if we were recording this meeting, we could have a complete transcript provided of it and captions for the sharing afterwards. If we had been brave, we could have actually had a live transcriber doing this meeting as we went through as well. And it's interesting that... Zoom, for example, didn't have a lot of these features go back six months ago when suddenly we're all pushed upon this with the pandemic, them, Microsoft Teams, Google Hangouts, all the rest are all rapidly shifting to actually make their products more accessible for everybody. Now, it may sound as though I'm rushing. It's probably because I am. Um, but now we would think about what's going on with the future. And I think we've already had an introduction to some of it courtesy of the pandemic. Uh, I assume everyone's heard of IoT or the internet of things. And we're already seeing that evolving. Airline kiosks, how we check in. There is more and more of reliance on that particular device to be the only interface you have with the airline. Now, what that's gonna mean as we move past COVID and we all go back to flying again, is is that actually gonna be an accessible solution? What changes are they gonna put in place? And I think Andrew's actually gonna comment on this a little bit further. But the last future point, as I wrap up to here, that um, I've been following actually for the last 20 odd years, but in terms of digital access, it opens up lots and lots of questions, is the whole use of augmentative reality, virtual reality, mixed reality, cross reality, whatever you want to call it, that um, is actually being pushed at the moment. It hasn't hit the mainstream, but there's been, particularly with everyone working from home and people looking at how can we use virtual spaces, There's been a bit more of a concentrated focus on it, which for me sort of raises a number of different questions, which um, we've talked about at conferences in the past. For example, how are you going to feed in audio description to what is a live feed? How are you going to feed in captions into a live feed, into these type of environments? How is that actually going to be possible? What's really positive to know, though, is people like the W3C are actually starting to look at it and look at it now before it actually becomes the mainstream.
0: David Vosnarkos there. And we'll be hearing from the other panel members in future programs of New Horizons. If you'd like to find out more about Global Accessibility Awareness Day and some of the events that happen all over the world as a consequence of it, have a look on Google, Global Accessibility Awareness Day you can search for. And uh, there is also a dedicated website. Again, you can look that one up using Google or your favorite search engine. Blind Citizens Australia is the united voice of Australians who are blind or vision impaired and uh, we focus a lot on uh, equalising the playing field for people who are blind or vision impaired, particularly in regard to accessibility and we advocate on behalf of people as well as being a part of uh, interesting research projects and things like that. If you'd like to find out more about BCA, have a look at the website. If you'd like to donate to Blind Citizens Australia, you can find out how to do that on the website. There's a number of ways in which you can do it and uh, if you're a member of BCA and you donate in our regular donation programme, called BCA Backers, you can actually devote some of that uh, donation to the branch of which you are a member. And as a reminder, most of the branches are jurisdictional, so if you live in the area that is covered by a branch, you're automatically a member of that branch. doesn't mean you have to do anything, but you are a member of that branch, and I would encourage you to become involved with your branch because it's an excellent way to meet people and uh, spend some time with other people who are blind or vision impaired. Some branches have been doing some really interesting things in this uh, current lockdown period. the women's branch has been very active and the sydney branch has had several meetings as well as the brisbane branch and the tasmania branch meets every week via zoom so if you'd like to find out more about that contact blind citizens australia and they'll be able to put you in touch with the right person if you'd like to contact bca one 33 is the telephone number one if you'd like to email bca at bca.org.au BCA at bca.org.au My thanks to Blind Citizens Australia for suggesting and hosting this happy hour conversation that we're featuring in these episodes of New Horizons and my thanks also to the organisations and to the panel members who have partnered with us to bring this discussion. There's David Vosnarkos from Visibility, Andrew Arch from Entopia, and Jonathan Craig as well who is of course the editor of Blind Citizens News. I'll talk to you again next week. We'll achieve the realisation
1: Of our yeah. dreams